If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Whoa, Memorial Day. That means summer is here. And if you're struggling to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so of every day, dedicated to my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake, and then I go crush a workout from one of the 120 programs on the Body app and just follow along day by day. So here's my special offer to you. Because it's Memorial Day and I want you to get started now, the next 5,000 new subscribers who sign up for six months get the next six months free. That's full access to over 120 programs. So don't wait. See how fast the pounds can really come off. And if they don't, you can get your money back, no questions asked. Just go to body.com to buy six months and get the next six free. That's B-O-D-I.com. Hi, Snap listeners. We are bringing you a special bonus episode today from Oxygen True Crime's hit series, Buried in the Backyard. Returning to Oxygen on Saturday, July 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time. You can also watch full episodes on Oxygen every Saturday or on demand on the free Oxygen app by clicking the link in our description. Enjoy. The luckiest day in a man's life. He won $31 million. Turns him into a neighborhood hero. He bought us a house. He had that heart to give. But when no one hears from him for months. I talked to him every day. He hadn't been returning my call. A bizarre phone call deepens the mystery. His voice sounds a little funny. Somebody could have robbed him. Of course, he's bitter. He lost a lawsuit involving millions of dollars. The guy came in and shot him, took everything that we had in the safe for cash, and left with it. And an undercover operation. There was a recording device sitting in an empty can of Red Bull. Sends police looking for answers hidden below the surface of a quiet Florida town. She takes a piece of angle iron, sticks it in the ground, and whispers, tell your boy to dig six feet down. And this is where the plot thickens. Plant City is a rural patch of Florida back road where life is simple and agriculture is king. Plant City is known for strawberry farms. It's in between Tampa, the beautiful Gulf Coast beaches, and the theme parks of Orlando. It's here in Plant City, it's country. Most people, if they want to hear the news, they go up under the tree. 
and sit on milk crates and buckets and have conversation about what could have been and what's not today. On a January morning in 2010, the conversation in Plant City is all about the law enforcement that's descended on an unassuming house in the town. The police are responding to a tip in a case that has puzzled this community for months. There are news cameras all around trying to get just a glimpse of what law enforcement finds. The police have reason to believe that a body is buried deep in the earth in the backyard. The forensic team focuses on something that seems out of place in the rural backyard, a large cement slab. That morning, we began breaking up the concrete slab. We finally get down to about six feet, two inches. And one of the crime scene technicians says, I think I've got something. We carefully start wiping away the dirt, and we realize that it's a body laying there. The body had been there for nine months. You can almost imagine the smell and the stench. They can immediately determine that it's human remains, but they have to see whose remains they are. The investigators believe they've finally uncovered the evidence they've been seeking of a brutal murder. This murder was the tragic finale to a rags to riches story that ended up with a person buried in the backyard. The chances of winning Florida's lottery are an astounding 15 million to one. But in places like the hard scrabble community of Lakeland, Florida, dreams about hitting it big provide a welcome break from reality. In our community, we don't have too many things that we can get into without getting into a little mischief. A lot of people play lottery. You dream of hitting the lottery. I dream of hitting the lottery. For Greg Smith's friend, Abraham Shakespeare, that dream is one of the few things that keep his spirits high. I think he wished and hoped and prayed that he would hit the lottery. But Abraham wasn't a real fortunate person. He left school to go to work to see what he can do about helping his family. When he started out in the orange groves, picking fruit, mowing yards, raking yards, and whatever money he made, he helped his family with it. Abraham stayed with his mother and um, helped her with the bills and, and, and was pretty content being a day laborer. And his life was based around his mother and taking care of her. Abraham would sit on the porch and he would just tell us, you know, if he had money, what he would do. And he would like say what big house he wanted or nice cars. And, you know, yeah, he was a dreamer. On November 15th, 2006, Abraham is working some odd jobs with a man named Michael Ford. And they stop at a local convenience store to pick up some food and drinks. The guy asked me if he wanted to sold us something. And Abraham said, no, just get me two lottery tickets. That night, the guy that owned the store came to my house. He said, your cousin just hit the lottery. He won $31 million. Abraham decides to take a one-time payout of $16.9 million. 
the money lets him show a generous side that he never could before. He bought us a house. He had that heart to give. He just felt like that's what he needed to do, just help people. When Abraham learns that a local barber, his friend and former boss, Greg Smith, is trying to get an $87,000 loan from the bank, he steps in to help. He bring me this envelope, cashier's check in my name. I said, I'm not going to take this money for free for you. I'm going to take the payments that I was going to do to the bank, and I'll pay you the same amount. After a life spent in poverty, Abraham treats himself too. He bought a home in North Lakeland, which was a home he dreamed of. It was scary because he didn't know how to manage his money. He had an entourage around him, but half of those people, he didn't know. They knew he couldn't read. They knew he couldn't write. They knew he couldn't sign nothing but his name. He said, man, every time I turn around, somebody wants something. He was their cash cow and they milked him daily. Cedric so sat him down and said, Abraham, you got to think now. You can go through this money. You got people coming from everywhere, so you got to be careful. But he was so happy not to be poor anymore. That wasn't even a thought in his mind. By October 2008, less than two years after winning the jackpot, Abraham is down to his last $2 million. Then his luck changes once again when a local businesswoman named Dee Dee Moore takes an interest in Abraham's rags to riches story. Dee Dee Moore was introduced to him by a mutual friend. He had an interesting story to tell and she proposed that she write a book on him. And I think he was very captivated by that. But as the two start to work on the book, it doesn't take long before Dee Dee discovers that Abraham is in over his head financially. She found out that he hadn't paid the taxes on his house, that he was behind on certain bills. And so she made a pretty reasonable proposal. Why don't you let me handle your finances? When I first met Dee Dee, she came serious with that attitude. Listen, I'm Abraham's financial advisor. Money's not being returned, and I'm not here to lose money, but to make money. It made perfect sense. With Dee Dee handling Abraham's finances, she advises him to stay home, away from all the outstretched hands that follow him everywhere. He just couldn't turn them away. He couldn't say no. He was really unhappy. We just didn't see him no more. We thought, well, maybe he didn't want to be bothered. So we gave him the benefit of the doubt. After several weeks without any word from Abraham, his family reaches out to the only person they believe is still in contact with him, his financial advisor, Didi. We called Didi to find out where Abraham was. And um, she told us that he went out of town. She was receiving texts from him, and she shared those texts with his family to show the family that he was okay. He did mention wanting to leave town. We wanted to help him because everybody else dreamed he was trying to fulfill, and he never had time for himself. And months went by, months went by, and no Abraham. His phone wasn't going. It ring, 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 answer service, come on. 
So this, it just don't seem right. I'm gonna report this. Seven months after anyone last saw Abraham, his cousin decides the family has waited long enough. In November of 2009, our missing persons unit took a call from a gentleman named Cedric Edom. I said, listen, my cousin is missing. I talked to him every day. He hasn't been returning my calls. We reach out to Abraham's mother and find out it was around April that the last she actually physically saw Abraham. Since then, she tells the detectives she's received only text messages from her son, but they've left her more troubled than comforted. Some texts were telling her that he was fine, he just don't want to be bothered. Abraham's mother told us we're a little confused. He can't text message because he can't read or write. So we had to determine, are, were these text messages legitimate? Was he with someone that was actually sending the text for him? We felt there was something suspicious about the case. This is more than a missing persons case. It was a missing person involving a 30 plus million dollar lottery winner. Abraham was owed money by lots of people. So you have the potential for people who owed him money or people that wanted money from him trying to hurt him in some way. Right from the beginning, there are lots of different suspects and really no evidence and no leads. Michael Ford filed a lawsuit and alleged that Abraham stole the ticket from him. If this wasn't Abraham who called, who was it? We want you to record every conversation. Let me see what we can do to get you out of this, because I know you didn't kill it. We get our binoculars out, we get our camera out. We just like, oh my god, this is crazy. Seven months after multi-million dollar lottery winner Abraham Shakespeare was last seen, investigators are looking for leads in his disappearance. We began with Dee Dee Moore. She was uh, the last person that we knew had seen him. Dee Dee says she's in touch with Abraham. Abraham just needed some time away, that he needed a break from everything. Didi shows us her phone where she's been receiving text message from Abraham. And a text message back from Abraham saying, I don't want to be bothered. Didi also shows investigators a video she made of a conversation she had with Abraham a few months earlier while discussing the book she planned to write about him. In this video, she speaks to Abraham and says, are you tired of people asking you for money? Are you tired of all the stress? And Abraham says, yeah, I just want to get away. After our initial interview with Dee Dee, we started looking at everybody that owed Abraham money. Once we learned the totality of all the money that Abraham had loaned out, given out, people owing him money, we had our hands full. We had 20, 30 people that we needed to talk to we wanted to explore every avenue we could. We learned that well, approximately six months after Abraham won the lottery, Michael Ford, who bought the lottery ticket, gave it to Abraham. 
filed a lawsuit and, and took Abraham to court and alleged that Abraham stole the ticket from him. That was investigated and was settled in court, and it was determined that Michael Ford was not the owner of the ticket, that Abraham did give him the money and was the rightful owner of the ticket. Investigators recognize that losing out on $31 million could cause Michael Ford to hold a grudge against Abraham. Michael Ford was actually living in Georgia, and uh, we actually sent a detective to Georgia to speak with him in person. Michael Ford, of course, he admitted, yes, we had a dispute over the lottery ticket. Of course, he's bitter. He lost a lawsuit against Abraham involving millions of dollars. But Michael Ford said, I lost the dispute, and um, I accepted it, and I'm not involved. But the detectives can't take his denial at face value, not with a man's life potentially at stake. So they dig deeper into Michael's background. We actually went so far as to pull phone records of Michael Ford to actually see where he was at the time that we believed Abraham was last seen. As investigators wait for Michael Ford's phone records, the story of the missing lottery winner is splashed across the headlines. The attention generates no shortage of tips. I mean, we got calls as far as Los Angeles, California from people that said they saw Abraham in a CVS pharmacy. They were so certain it was him, we called the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office and had someone go pull the video from the day this person said they saw him. Once we saw the video, we, we knew it wasn't Abraham. You have to weed through, is this true, is this not true? And you know, you don't want to miss the tip that's going to break it. A few days later, the cell phone records for Michael Ford come in, and they confirm his alibi. After looking into his phone records, we were able to determine that Michael Ford was in Georgia at the time Abraham went missing and was not involved and um, was no longer a suspect in the case. With no word from Abraham and no progress in the police search for him, those closest to him, including his mother Elizabeth, find it hard to hold on to hope. He was always riding around with different people, pull up the clubs. Somebody could have robbed him because he kept money in his trunk. It was well known that he had a lot of money and he carried cash around with him. Anything was possible. As Christmas approaches, the family finds it difficult to celebrate the holidays with Abraham still missing. Then, Abraham's mother receives an odd phone call. Abraham's mother was having lunch after Christmas, and she gets a call from Abraham. He wishes her a Merry Christmas and tells his mother that he's fine and just wants to be left alone. And when she gets off the phone, Abraham's mom realized something, that it was not Abraham that she was talking to. Like any mother who knows her son's voice, she knew that someone had called pretending to be Abraham. 
And this is where the plot thickens with this strange call to Abraham's mother. So that's where law enforcement starts looking with the one strong piece of evidence they have. And they're trying to figure out if this wasn't Abraham who called, who was it? As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay on top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to their best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at constantcontact.com. Just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. constantcontact.com. No one has heard from Florida lottery winner Abraham Shakespeare for nearly 8 months. Then, just after Christmas 2009, his mother receives a phone call from someone claiming to be her son. Abraham's mother said, his voice sounds a little funny. I'm like, what's the phone number he called you from? She says, well, it was a private number. I met with my partner, and we knew we could subpoena her phone records, and we we're going to be able to see what number called. Usually, it takes a day or two to get anything. But with this subpoena, 20 minutes later, which is unheard of, we have an email with the GPS location of the phone. They also learn who the phone belongs to, and it's a big surprise. It doesn't belong to Abraham, but to someone close to him. This phone is registered to Greg Smith. Greg Smith was a barber in Polk County, and Abraham had lent Greg Smith $87,000 after he'd won the lottery. The GPS coordinates place the phone at a local shopping mall, and detectives realize it could still be at that location. We stop what we're doing, we jump in our car, and we drive to the Lakeland Mall. It's the day after Christmas. Thousands of cars there. 
We pull in there and we park and we both look at each other like, what are we gonna do? What are we looking for? We sit there for about five minutes and we look up and in comes Didi Moore's car. We just like, oh my God, uh, this is crazy. So Didi's car pulls up next to another car. She gets out of her car. She gets in the passenger seat of this car. We get our binoculars out, we got our camera out. We can't tell who it is. Didi hands this gentleman a wad of cash. She gets in her car and leaves. So we're like, let's follow him. We cut the car off. I have my badge out. I go, hey, I'm a homicide detective with the sheriff's office. We need to talk to you. We don't need nobody to know we're talking to you. What do you want to do? So this gentleman says, I guess I'm going to cooperate. We identify him as Greg Smith. He's the one that made the phone call to Abraham's mother. I say this, I made that telephone call. A lady paid me $5,000 to call and say I was Abraham Shakespeare. I'm thinking Abraham don't want to talk to her no more. She's trying to get in contact with him. But investigators wonder whether he's telling the whole story. We realize that Greg actually owes Abraham over $100,000. Greg was very suspicious to us. So we sit and talk to Greg a little more. According to Greg, the plan was hatched when Dee Dee came to him to collect on Abraham's loan. Dee Dee was putting pressure on him to pay this debt. Then on the other hand, she was offering money to do these phone calls. When we told Greg that something was going on with Abraham, he did genuinely seem surprised. He said, you made a telephone call and impersonated somebody else, and that's all. The detectives have nothing to charge Greg with, so he's free to go home. But now they want to know more about why Dee Dee, who everyone believes has been helping Abraham, would set up a phony phone call. They begin digging into her background. Law enforcement quickly realized that Dee Dee did not have a squeaky clean past. Dee Dee had been accused of stealing from the business that she worked. A mysterious fire in the office started, which burned all the records. We also found she was arrested for insurance fraud, where she claimed that some guys carjacked her, robbed her, tried to rape her, threw her in the ditch, and stole her car. Given her past, the detectives now consider a disturbing possibility. Rather than helping Abraham, was Dee Dee methodically stealing from him? To help find the answer, the investigators go back to Greg Smith and ask for help. We told Greg, we want you to be part of our team. We want you to continue talking to Dee Dee, but we want you to record every conversation. He said, listen, go meet with her and see what she got to say. 
I say, serious, man, I ain't trying to chase that woman. But when authorities told me he's a missing man, I believed that. So I said, I'll tell you what, what you need me to do to help you out? So police end up wiring Greg Smith and sending him back out to meet with Dee Dee Moore. I get the phone call. Hey, meet me at the gas station. So I say, OK, it's on. He says, if you want me to do this, I need the body. I am really scared. Eight months after Abraham Shakespeare disappeared, his friend Greg Smith has agreed to help police by wearing a wire and meeting with Abraham's financial advisor, who has emerged as a possible suspect. At this point, we feel that Abraham might be the victim of foul play, and Dee Dee's a suspect in the case. So once we knew that Greg was in there with Dee Dee, our strategy was, okay, let's put pressure on Dee Dee and see what happens. Ready to start their sting operation, Greg Smith sets up a meeting with Dee Dee Moore. There's a recording device sitting in a empty can of Red Bull. And Greg and Dee Dee are talking. I asked Dee Dee, I say, hey, man, listen, where is Abraham at? Where is he at? I ain't heard from him. She says, Everybody think I did something to Abraham. I say, think you did something to Abraham? What are you talking about? Dee Dee tells Greg that she needs to find someone who's willing to take the rap for Abraham's disappearance, and that she'll pay someone to do it. There's no evidence of foul play at this point, but now police have her red-handed offering money to help cover up Abraham's disappearance. Dee Dee's incriminating statements give the detectives the probable cause they need to do a deeper investigative dive. We sent out subpoenas for Dee Dee's phone and Abraham's phone. Prior to April 7th, Abraham averaged 200 calls a day on his phone. And the only communication he has after April 7th is with Dee Dee Moore. The combined phone records reveal another alarming detail. Many times texts were coming from Abraham Shakespeare's phone. The cell phone towers that his alleged texts were coming from were pinging from the same towers as where Dee Dee Moore was at the time. It became evident at that point that unless they're sitting in the car next to each other, texting each other, Dee Dee has Abraham's phone. But investigators need solid proof of Dee Dee's involvement in Abraham's disappearance, or worse, before they can charge her with anything. So they once again call up their man on the inside, Greg Smith. They instruct him to call Dee Dee with an offer. We call Greg Smith in, we'll say, hey, listen, we want you to tell Dee Dee, if there happens to be any chance Abraham's dead, any chance something happened to Abraham, I have a solution. I asked Dee Dee, I say, hey, is Abraham dead? 
It's a reverse psychology thing. I know you didn't kill him. What happened? Well, let me see what we can do to get you out of this. Because I know you didn't kill him. I said, you know what? I got somebody. He'll take the fall for, for, for killing Abraham. And he tells her, I have a cousin. He's about to be sentenced to 30 plus years. And for the right amount of money, my cousin will take a murder rap. I say, in order for you to get rid of all this, you got to tell me where the body at. And Dee Dee, without admitting anything, just says, well, I want to meet him. At the detective's direction, Greg Smith sets up another meeting with Dee Dee. But this time, the police also send an undercover cop named Mike Smith, who poses as Greg's cousin. Me and Mike, we went out and met Didi. We set it up in the Lakeland Mall parking lot. Greg pulls up with Mike Smith. They get in Didi's car. She says, I don't know if anything's happened to Abraham. I can't get a hold of him. He won't return my calls. So Mike starts pressing her, you know, what do you mean you think something, either something happened to him or didn't? In that conversation, she finally admits that she believes Abraham's dead and that somebody shot him. Prior to this meeting, there was no evidence that Abraham Shakespeare was dead. He could have been missing, and this was all just a cover-up for him being gone. And Mike says, well, if he's dead, I'll take the murder rap. He says, I want $50,000. But if you want me to do this, I need the body. The undercover is saying, for my story to law enforcement to be credible, if I'm going to confess to this crime, I need to know details. Dee Dee tells the undercover she can identify where the body is and that Abraham was killed with a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver, and that she has the gun. Dee Dee leaves Mike and Greg, but later that evening, she calls Greg and wants to see him alone. Yeah, I get the phone call. Hey, meet me at the gas station. So I say, OK, it's on. I got to be on my guards at all time. I don't know what to expect from her. Law enforcement laid this great trap for Dee Dee. They end up getting her to admit that Abraham Shakespeare is dead, that she has the gun, and she knows where the body is buried. She takes Greg Smith to Plant City off of Highway 60, where we had identified a house that she had purchased out there. When we pull up to that house, she said, I'm going to get out the car, and I'm going to show you exactly where the body is. She walks him to the very far back of the house, and um, there's a concrete slab back there. And she takes a piece of angle iron, sticks it in the ground, and whispers to Greg, Tell your boy to dig six feet down, and you'll find Abraham's body. And Dee Dee actually hands Greg Smith a Smith & Wesson 38 caliber revolver. 
She says, this is the gun that was used to kill Abraham. I was able to get it from the person that killed Abraham. The first thing we do is we secure a search warrant for that property. We need the body. On January 25th, 2010, police move into the backyard of the home just outside Plant City, Florida, Abraham's hometown. When the sun came up, we began digging. The first part, we had to break apart a 30 by 30 concrete slab. As we're breaking apart the concrete slab, we had to look for any evidence, and then we began layer by layer taking the dirt away. We're putting it in a sifter, looking for any evidence, and another layer and another layer. So the first day, nothing. The second day, we continue, and still we have nothing. So some of us are like, have we been spoofed again by D.D. Moore? And then about an hour later, one of the crime scene technicians says, I think I got something. They find the decomposed remains of a human who they believe to be Abraham Shakespeare. The body still had dreads in place. Abraham was most known for his long dreadlocks. The medical examiner was able to examine Abraham's body. The body had decomposed badly to the point where it was almost difficult for them to determine some of the evidence around it. There were bullets found. The other thing was that the clothes they found him in were the same clothes he was wearing in the Goodbye video. Didi showed it to the police. And without a doubt, it was Abraham. I attended the autopsy of Abraham, and it was determined that Abraham died of two gunshot wounds. After we dug Abraham's body up, I drove to where Abraham's mother worked. I had to tell her that we had found a body. I told her, it's your son. That is one of the hardest things I've had to do. When we found out Abraham was buried up on a slab in the backyard, it's just devastating. I couldn't take it. I mean, you know, it was just too, too sad. It was just too sad. He didn't steal nothing. He didn't take nothing. He literally won the lottery, and he had to pay his life for what was his. With the body confirmed to be Abraham, Dee Dee Moore is arrested at the million-dollar home that she claims Abraham had sold to her. Right. Who are you working with as your attorney? The detectives can finally confront her with what they believe happened to Abraham Shakespeare. You took the guy's money, you got everything in your name, 
He gets killed with your gun. And he gets, gets buried on your your property, property, and you pour a slab within a week later right over where he's at. You think Dee -dee. I've done this? You think Dee -dee. I took a gun and shot somebody? At this point in the investigation, Dee Dee is the one that knows where the body is buried. She's the one who knows about the gun. But there's nothing actually connecting her to the murder of Abraham Shakespeare. Though she led them to the body, if investigators can't prove she pulled the trigger, Dee Dee Moore could walk. They run ballistics tests on the gun Dee Dee handed to Greg Smith hoping that they might provide the connection they need. The police cannot determine definitively that the bullets used to kill Abraham had come from that gun. Law enforcement knew without any eyewitnesses to the murder, without any compelling physical evidence, they have to build as strong a case as they can on the circumstantial evidence. Investigators dig deeper into all of Dee Dee's relationships in a quest to connect her further to the crime scene. We go to Dee Dee Moore's ex-husband's house and we ask him, what do you know about the property that she had there? And he said, I went out there sometime around April and she asked me to dig a hole for her. So he dug the hole and he said, when the sun went down that day, he said he went back and he filled in the hole. And he's like, all I remember is it looked like it was full of concrete and trees and brush, but it was dark. And I just pushed the dirt over it. She ended up building a concrete slab over it and parked the motorhome on it. He didn't know anything about Abraham. He had never even met Abraham. The case against Dee Dee is getting stronger by the day. Then, as planning for her trial begins, she makes a startling claim that she is a victim of a crime herself and desperately needs help. A guy came in and shot him, took everything that we had in the safe for cash and left with it. Dee Dee tells law enforcement that Abraham was killed in a drug dispute with a man named Ron Watson. And that Ron Watson threatened Dee Dee and said that he would kill her and kill her family if she didn't cover up Abraham's disappearance. They put the gun in my mouth. I peed my pants. I was scared. You think I've done this? You think I took a gun and shot somebody? Dee Dee Moore is under arrest for the murder of Abraham Shakespeare. But as she is interrogated, she makes a startling claim that she too is a victim in this case and has been forced to cover up someone else's crime. She says, I was taking Abraham to that house in Plant City and um, I was just gonna get money out of the safe and all of a sudden these drug dealers show up and they shoot Abraham. She says, a drug dealer named Ronald Watson did it. The guy's name's Ronald, and Ronald exists. He even threatened. He... Dee Dee was pleading with law enforcement to help her, claiming that this guy was threatening her and gonna kill her family. I am really scared. If what Dee Dee claims is true, it would change everything police and prosecutors think they know about this murder. 
police ended up following up on that Ron Watson lead. And they realized that there was no one with any drug history in Florida named Ron Watson who fit the profile of what Didi was saying. A guy come in and shot him, took everything that we had in the safe for cash and left with it. And left you alive? Yes. So this guy killed leaves you alive. Is that the story that we're going to go with? I mean, really, I, I, I've got children's books that are written better than that. When police prove there is no Ronald Watson, Dee Dee's story falls apart. Prosecutors continue with their plans to bring her to trial. In the fall of 2012, nearly six years after Abraham Shakespeare hit a $30 million jackpot, then disappeared, Dee Dee Moore stands trial for his murder. Our prosecutor told the jury, this was a crime motivated by pure greed. Greed that transformed into evil. Didi Moore dug a deep hole, buried Abraham Shakespeare in the earth, and covered over the hole with a concrete slab. She purchased a $70,000 Corvette for her boyfriend, $30,000 truck for herself. She bought Rolexes, she bought diamond rings, and um, just went through Abraham's money like it was nothing. By the time Abraham's body was found in January of 2010, it was determined that he only had about $10,000 left in his name. Dee Dee was living large on Abraham's dime. She had stolen money from him. She was getting rich off of him. And it appears that he may have figured it out and confronted her. But it's never going to be known for sure. All we know for sure is that she killed him. She buried him, and she spent the better part of eight months covering it up. After two weeks of testimony, the jury leaves to deliberate. It took the jury a little more than three hours to deliberate, and they found her guilty of first-degree murder. She never once showed any remorse never once showed any compassion. When the verdict came out, she started to cry. And that's the only emotion I saw from her. She didn't cry for Abraham. She didn't cry for Abraham's mother. She cried for her damn self. The judge made the comment to Dee Dee that she was one of the most manipulative people he has ever sentenced. And, um, sentenced her to life in prison without the possibility of parole. For her to kill him, it was just like, why? He would have bought you anything. He would have gave you what you wanted. To me, that was senseless. Abraham had a heart of gold. You couldn't change his heart no matter what he had. I miss him every day. All I can say is justice is served for now.
feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not millions. $200,000. Cause it's about to be ugly crying, lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat. Stream free on Amazon Freeview or Prime Video.